Good evening. Welcome to Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauber. I'm an employment law and business law attorney, and I host this live weekly talk radio show and this live video broadcast every Tuesday night from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where I have guests to talk about some of the most interesting and modern and novel challenges and topics that business owners and employers are facing today during these trying times. And in that spirit, I'm very pleased tonight to welcome to the show our guest, Mr. Joe O'Connor. Joe is the CEO of the four-day work week, four-day week global, uh, a four-day work week initiative. Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, Eric. Good evening. Great to be here. Great to have you on as well. Yes. Um, as I think I mentioned to you, Joe, in the chat moments ago, having a slight technical problem on my computer. So I'm on my phone right now, but hopefully everyone can hear me okay. Can you hear me uh, all right there, Joe? Yeah, audio and video is perfect. Wonderful. My only uh, quip about the iPhone here is that it makes me look about 11 feet tall, which I'm not, but that's that's okay. We'll just roll with it, and then I'll shift gears midway when, my, when everything's uh, tech issues resolved. But in any event, um, I just want to tell our audience about our topic tonight, and then I'll give you, Joe, a proper introduction so we can take it from there. Um, all right. So our topic, folks, is the four-day work week, increasing employee productivity. And I think many folks have noticed that the COVID-19 pandemic brought a renewed focus on employees' work-life balance and wellness. Advances in technology, some expedited by Zoom and the remote workplace, have opened up new means of working effectively and efficiently. And so as a result of that, many companies across the globe are exploring a four-day work week for their employees. So the questions come up, how can employers maintain or even improve their employees' productivity, morale, and output when working hours are cut by 20%? What steps can you, the employer or business owner, take to properly implement a four-day work week for your workers? What are the pros and cons? So that's our topic for tonight. I'm happy if you'll all join me and my special guest, as I mentioned, Joe O'Connor. Joe is an activist, an advocate, a scholar, and the chief executive officer at Four Day, Four Day Week Global. And I want to read Joe's um, bio a bit, then we can begin our, our discussion for tonight. Um, so as I mentioned, folks, Joe O'Connor, uh, he still is, remains the chief executive officer of Four Day Week Global, a not-for-profit company supporting organizations from a diverse range of industries worldwide to trial or transition to reduced hour output-focused, excuse me, output-focused working. He is leading the coordination of Four Day Week Global's pilot program with over 160 employers and almost 10,000 employees from the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, and Ireland, all signing up to participate in four-day working week trials in the first half of 2022 alone. Joe is from Ireland, but currently based here in New York City, where he is leading a research project on work time reduction as a visiting scholar at Cornell University. So, Joe, with that intro and, and backdrop, um, and again, these tech issues resolving as they may, um, nothing like those no time with the present to jump into our discussion tonight. So, again, I appreciate your being on the show. And uh, I wanted to ask you my first question, Joe, which is an easy one, but you know, tell us a bit more about yourself. Like, for example, how did your career initially start out? And then what prompted you to become involved with the Four Day Work Week initiative and then to rise to CEO of, of Four Day Week Global? Sure. So I've been involved in the campaigns world 
for a long time. Um, my primary role in Ireland for a number of years was leading the um, campaigns for Ireland's largest public service representative union force. Um, and as part of this role, I organized a conference which took place in 2018 on the future of working time. This was a topic that we we're looking at very closely in the Irish context. Um, we also were centrally involved in the formation of the four day week Ireland group in 2019, which I was the chairperson of um, since its formation. And as part of this, I had been collaborating with the four day week global group, which was set up around the same time, really to advance this conversation around the potential benefits of reduced work time to the economy, to society, and to uh, to individual companies and employees. So mm -hmm. the opportunity arose in the last 12 months. Um, I developed a pilot project on the four-day work week in Ireland. Some uh, four-day week global and the four-day week US campaign were looking to, to develop something similar. So I came on board mm -hmm. last September when I moved to New York and um, in this role, um, which, you know, as you mentioned in your bio, I've been very involved in the coordination of these pilot programs worldwide as part of that. Interesting, Joe. Yeah, it's good to have that some of that more recent backdrop. And I'm just wondering, was there anything, let's say, perhaps from your uh, your younger years, maybe um, your formative years, of high school, college, whatnot, that may have led you to be interested specifically in uh, workers' rights or or the shorter work week? Anything there that we should that might be interesting? Um, I, I think of what led me down the path initially of, you know, worker representation and then more mm -hmm. recently into this field of, you know, shorter work week research and advocacy and obviously working practically with companies to make this happen. Um, yeah. You know, initially I was very involved in the student movement, so I was elected as the student union president in my mm -hmm. time in Galway. Um, I went on to become the, the president of the National Students Union in Ireland. This mm -hmm. very took me down the route of, of worker representation and, and trade unionism initially. I think my interest in the issue with the shorter work week is more recent. It's something that, you know, we had been observing some of the major pilot programs that were taking place in New Zealand and Sweden and in other countries back in 2018. And one of the, 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 the big things that really stands out to me as to when, you know, this can, you know, move from something which, you know, was was maybe one element of my work and my interest to something that really became my, my overriding passion, was a, a survey that we did of our own employees in, in the, the, the Forza uh, Union back in 2018, where we, we surveyed people about their attitudes to work time reduction, to work-life balance issues, and specifically to this uh, question of the four-day work week. Um, and one of the things that really, really struck me from, from the findings in that and from the results was the huge volume of people, predominantly working parents, parents and specifically mostly women, um, who talked about their experience of moving to a four-day work week or moving to reduced work time, largely due to you know work-life balance reasons, coming off maternity leave, you know childcare reasons, and they were doing this for a reduced salary. They were doing this for eighty percent pay, but in the majority of cases, their experience was that their responsibilities in the job were the same. Their expectations around the kind of output that they should deliver were the same. So effectively, we had a situation where these people were, you know, being asked to deliver the same output or the same productivity, but for less pay, purely because they, you know, they could get the job done more efficiently, they could get the job done in less time. So I think that that caused me to, to ask the question, you know, number one, is this the big driver of, you know, the gender pay gap and, and gender mm -hmm. issues? But also, you know, 
got me to explore and to think much more about, the, about this idea of Parkinson's law, which is how much mm -hmm. of modern work, you know, is really driven by this idea that tasks will expand to fill the time available for their completion. And is there a lot of inefficiency in how we work in 2022? And is this something that, that, that we can change? Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I think, you know, some spot on great points there. I think, I mean, first off, you know, your interest in the workers' rights and also just in the, like, noting the gender gap, right, the, um, the disparate impact, let's say, on, you know, a, uh, on women in the workforce, like, who might have to take a four-day work week for, you know, child-rearing, maternity reasons. Um, I noticed how much like, that came up during the pandemic, you know, a lot when women were uh, more often than the men, you know, home, homeschooling. Certainly men were homeschooling their children as well. Zoom, I should say Zoom schooling, right? Helping kids to Zoom online and, and taking off. But a lot of women really felt the brunt of it. So I think, but to hear you say that another point, where which is that um, even though you studied show many people who were I think, working, you know, say a prorated 80% week, they were still, they may have been making a prorated salary, but doing 100% of the work. And I love that thing you mentioned, that Parkinson's law. I think it's so true. Uh, something I found in my own work, um, which is not a four-day work week admittedly, but, you know, moving towards work-life balance, I found that, like, say, if you schedule a meeting with someone for an hour, you know, you will kind of slow it down and beat around the bush and make, say, elaborate more, and that's an hour. Whereas if you schedule 30 minutes or 45 minutes, often people will, they won't just jump, they'll get to the point more directly, we'll have a, a different pace. So I think those are all excellent points. I love how you brought up the you know, the gender and, and pay gap and also just workers' rights. As an employment law attorney, while I represent companies, I also represent employees, and I think it's just a, think, you know, good thing to have in people's minds. Um, so I appreciate your, you know, sharing that with us. It, it kind of, like, brings you to another question, kind of, like, historically. You mentioned some of this, Joe, but uh, talking about the history of the four-day work week, like, can you tell us maybe when and where it began? Was it, in fact, in 2018, or was it, does it go back before that, or...? I think that there's examples of companies that have been doing this for longer than that. You know, we've in our work come across companies who have been doing four day work weeks or reduced our schedules for, you know, 10 years, even longer than that. So going back to the certainly back into the 2000s. But I think that the movement, the global movement, as we know it today, was really launched by the Perpetual Guardian trial in 2018, which was led by our founder in four day week global, Andrew Barnes. And really that trial was was motivated by Andrew doing some research which suggested that people were only tr truly productive for roughly around three hours per day. Mm. And what he was trying to figure out was, you know, is this something that's happening in my business? And if I change the conversation away from a focus on the amount of hours that people are spending in the office, at the desk, or on the clock, and really put a much sharper focus and emphasis on output and productivity, can I deliver a bit better business performance? And the result, results of that trial were hugely, hugely positive. You know, they reported improved productivity, improved employee engagement, improved well-being. I think that was really the spark plug for the global conversation that we've seen, which has grown very considerably over the years since then, of which I think has been, has been turbocharged to some extent by the impact of the pandemic on, you know, employers and on, on employees. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like I, I, I tend to agree with you. Joe. I think that you know you mentioned all those different the studies and the trials and like the you know the, the sort of shift of focus towards um, sort of metrics of output and productivity and not necessarily you know right on the total number of hours somebody works and that whole study about the three hours of productive time per day. 
It reminds me of books that have come out about you know the, the four-hour workday and things of that nature. Um, I, I do believe that a lot of um, work movements, changes, whether it's work from home, work remotely, right, have been sort of uh, predated the pandemic, but have been, uh, I guess, you know, sort of like gasoline the fire. They've been a catalyst from the pandemic to to really increase and, and, and really, you know, gain momentum. Speaking of momentum, we're actually off to a good start, but we have to take our very first promotional week. So uh, you're folks, you're listening to Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauber, Employment Law Business Law Attorney. Our, our guest tonight, uh, Joe O'Connor, CEO of the Four Day Week Global. When we come back, we'll talk more about the Four Day Work Week and about how you as an employer can implement it and how it might help your employees with productivity and morale. So stick around. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Employment Law Business Law Attorney, host of the show, and quite pleased that my tech issue seems to be resolving itself. Everyone can hear me okay and see me back on my computer, which feels a little bit a little bit less disorienting than balancing the iPhone and juggling it, but in a pinch, you have to do what you have to do. So anyway, Joe, it's great to um, have you on the show tonight, and I really think this is an excellent topic, you know, the four-day work week, and, you know, part of that title is increasing employee productivity. Um, you know, my question for you, Joe, we saw about your background and about the, the history of the movement, you know, for the four-day work week and the, the catalyst of the pandemic. I'm wondering if you can tell us, like, what um, we talked about the impact of the pandemic a bit, but um, how has how have recent technological changes in the workplace, what impact rather they had on the four-day work week movement? 
So I think that advances in technology have enabled this conversation. And what I mean by that is, you know, remote working didn't, the pandemic didn't make remote working possible per se. It made it permissible, you know? Mm, yeah. So we already had Zoom. We already had asynchronous communication technologies. You know, all of the things that we've done in order to be able to, to work remotely and maintain productivity and, you know, the idea that you can now run a company from your kitchen table, these things were around. Uh, the pandemic just just made this possible uh, as a conversation rather than make, made it possible technically. And it's the same thing yeah. with where they work week. Our experience when we work with companies is that, you know, for many of them, the four-day work week is already here. It's just buried under the rubble of poor meeting discipline, distractions and interruptions in the workday, you know, poor use of technology and outdated, outmoded processes. And when they actually get serious about addressing some of these inefficiencies within their business, they find that actually delivering the same output in four days rather than five is something that's well within reach. So this is something that we've seen, you know, certainly, certainly the productive capacity and the technological tools are there. You know, we've mm -hmm. seen in the last 20 to 30 years, incredible advances in technology. You know, when you think about things like globalization, internet, email, but yet sure. the average work week is still roughly the same as it was back then. So I guess the question is, as we now move into this fourth industrial revolution of digitalization, mm. automation, AI, you know, how can we share those benefits with workers in a way that enables us to reduce work time in the same way as we've done for much of the last century? You know, this is mm -hmm. something that throughout history, we have shared the benefits of improved productivity and advances in technology in the form of reduce, re reductions in work time. Yeah, I know what you're saying there. I, I do, Joe. I think that, like, you know, I love that phrase you used about the pandemic making this, um, this being the four-day work week. And it's it's about it's making it permissible, but not making it possible, right? That now the conversation is allowed to be had. It's it's not seen as some kind of far-fetched, uh, crazy idea or some you know like lazy idea, right? To actually you know the goal. I think the important focus here is that like you know the four-day work week. You're saying uh, studies and studies have shown and, and and trials have shown that it actually can be or often is as, as just as productive, like, right, as you know, a five-day work week and maybe even more so because people are better rested and more energized from a three-day rest instead of a, a two-day rest, right? We all, we all, I think we all know how fast a weekend tends to go by. And that's those of us working on a Monday through Friday type schedule. You know, people who work odd days on and off might even feel sort of burnt out and not charged up as well. Um, you mentioned a few things there. We talked about technology, but you said, right, with digitalization and you know, email and, of course, I think you mentioned like, better meeting discipline, right? And I guess this example of time management, um, I think back to shows such as The Office, um, both the British and the English version, the American version where you had, you know, Michael Scott, you know, this character, like, always having these you know, very, you know, sort of wasteful meetings. Um, and I think, you know, I think that Nietzsche, it's definitely a kind of a big way to, to look at this, right? There's definitely some something here, you know, to say, are we just doing a five-day week because it's what we all expect? Is what we're all accustomed to. Like, I think a lot of employers might think that, you know, well, we've done it this way forever and it's worked. So therefore we have to keep doing it this way to keep working. But what I hear you saying is that, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, when there was less technology, meetings took longer and there was less, you didn't have automated email or just automated programs to get people's calendars up to sync. So I, I think I hear what you're saying there. I think it's a really good point, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... 
that's one of the the low hanging fruit in this conversation is you know getting better at how we do meetings you know whether it's that meetings are as you described in your example earlier taking too long so you know can a one hour meeting become a 30 minute meeting can a 30 minute meeting become a 15 minute meeting the other question is around you know how structured are our meetings have we got a really structured you know outcome focused agenda or are they very general and loose you know, do we have the right people at our meetings? Do we have mm. meetings that are maybe involving the entire team when actually they might just need to involve a certain number of people from the team and maybe everyone else can just be updated by an email? So yeah. I, I think getting much more deliberate and disciplined about how we think about meeting culture is definitely one of the ways that we've seen, particularly companies in, in much more knowledge economy focused roles and mm -hmm. really seeing that as a great enabler for them in, in making the move to reduce work time schedules. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think it makes I think it makes sense. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense. Joe, what you're saying. It's like I think that um, I, I find also that you know that same culture, right, of looking at meetings and seeing if they're necessary or if we can cut the fat, so to speak. You can apply that to other tasks that workers are assigned, right? Other than say, you know, how how tightly organized like, are your workers? I think it might even bring bring in the into the conversation maybe the question of, you know, do you do you being the employer, right? Do you hire, let's say, uh, an operations consultant to help you with streamline your operations? You know, do you let's say bring in, you know, um, some sort of business coaches to help people with their right there, fine tuning the schedule and knowing where to start, where to begin, and when to let go of perfectionism, let's say, and overly doing something and just kind of know that a job that's done well and efficiently is better than a job that's paralyzed by analysis and perfectionism. So I think that might be something that workers, I think, need to sort of relearn, right, um, going into a job. Sure. Yeah. For sure. There, there's a huge amount of retraining and renorming necessary and that, you know, I, I like the way you mentioned perfection there, because that's something that we find that, you know, this challenges a lot of the very deeply embedded norms, particularly, I think, of American work culture. Which oh, yes. is, you know, everything is a priority. Everything needs to be perfect. You know, working long hours is some kind of badge of honor. And the mm -hmm. reality is that, you know, not every task needs to be perfect. Not every task is as big of a priority as the next task. And, right. you know, I, I think that actually the key thing in doing this lies less in, you know, the individual changes, although we certainly mm -hmm. see commonalities in terms of, the kinds of things that companies will address to make this work. But a lot of this is around, you know, the culture in the organization to make this work, which yeah. is very much around empowering and enabling your staff to come up with the answers, to come mm -hmm. up with the solutions, to come up with the changes to work practices. You know, a lot of companies we've worked with have described this as the greatest team building exercise they've ever done mm -hmm. and the cheapest process improvement strategy they've ever mm -hmm. deployed. Because this is really about saying, you know, this is not just about a benefit where, you know, you say to people, we're going to give you extra time off and, you know, do nothing else. You know, this is a pro quo, which is around working in a partnership approach between leadership, managers and employees to say, OK, if we can figure out how to work smarter and more efficiently in order to deliver these, you know, targets, these objectives, these very, very clearly set measurables that are are, are mm -hmm. part of the trial, then yeah. in return, you're going to get this transformative gift of, of, of extra time off. And what that does mm -hmm. is, I think it, it really aligns the company's interests and mm -hmm. employees' interests in an incredibly powerful way that I think few other initiatives can achieve mm -hmm. at the company level. 
aligns in both interests. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, this is not, uh, well, first off, the whole co- the, the cultural shift, right? the change in the culture of the workplace, I think is a very important point that we're both talking about here. We're talking, discussing, because, um, you know, you can say, right, have someone come in, then try to cut people's schedule and just make it Monday through Thursday or, you know, that kind of thing. You can, um, you can at least say, bring in someone to talk about, you know, doing things quicker or, but if the culture is still that, you know, working long hours, especially as you mentioned in the United States and, and especially, I'd say, especially in the Northeast, right, in the Northeast rather, you know, New York City and stuff, right, you can see people, you know, in an office building, think with the lights on at all hours, right, that cultural badge of honor maybe needs to be changed in, maybe the badge of honor is, right, you know, to get things done imperfectly, but get them done, right, and also to have that extra balance to explore all the things in life. But I think that you're definitely right that we need a a cultural shift, which I think starts with leadership. And it makes me wonder, you know, do you encourage, let's say, the the managers and the the C-suite executives to lead by example, like in these studies to say, hey, your workers get a four-day work week, and so do you? Is that, like, you encourage them to do so, or...? I think it's really important within the company that leaders are seen as walking the walk as well as talking the talk. Yes. And, you know, I, but I think that there needs to be a couple of important qualifiers around that. So, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, the reality is if you look at how often, you know, what kind of hours do most CEOs or senior leaders currently work? You know, they might be contracted for 40 hours, but the reality <laughs> is, is that most leaders and executives are working much more than that. They might work oh, sure. 50, 55, or even more than that. So mm-hmm. four-day work week is, is not an inflexible model. It's about, you know, shifting the needle on the standard expectations. So what might look like success for a CEO might mean that their work hours reduce to 40 hours a week, when mm-hmm. previously they might have been working 50. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's important to note is that culturally within the organization, if leadership are not participating, then there's a risk that employees feel, you know, we have this policy and name alone, but actually by us doing this, you know, we're going to have a reputation within the organization that we're not willing to put in the same time and effort as other people. It might affect our mm-hmm. career progression. We might be, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things. So I think as a leader, the critical thing is setting the boundaries where, you know, one of the companies we work with in the UK, Adam Bank, talked about how their regulator, if their regulator asked them to meet on a Saturday when they're working a five-day work week, they're going to take that meeting. The same thing applies when they move to a four-day work week. Even if the CEO's day off is a Friday, they're going to take that meeting. But it's about knowing the difference between that, which is something that's of strategic importance for leadership, and you know, sending non-essential email to all your employees on a Friday that isn't urgent, that d- can wait until Monday, even when you know that's the day off. So it's really knowing the difference between this is a leadership task that we need to show flexibility for, and, you know, this is something that actually culturally, we need to be really clear that that's not the way we do business anymore. Hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, it's important, you know, A, you know, leaders walking the walk, right, showing employees like, that they, you know, this is this is actually something they really mean and are, are behind. Um, but that that's a good point about, like, you know, employees might be fearful if sort of this is not, I guess that's, I suppose that's probably a good reason why this might be good to implement as a mandatory thing and not optional, because if you make it optional and then other employees think, well, if I volunteer, right, an option, if I choose, my option to work four days instead of five, and then my colleagues are working longer, might I be afraid I won't get promoted, I won't be seen as taking things seriously. 
Um, you know, there's a lot more you said there, Joe, I want to get into, but we're actually at our next commercial break. So, but I think really just, you know, some really solid points you're making tonight. It's great to have you on the show. You have an efficient way of speaking, which I think is in line with your your mission and what you've been doing all these, you know, uh, all these years with your time. So um, when we're going to come back, folks, we'll talk more about this, you know, the shifting the culture to the four-day work week and also some specific strategies um, that companies can use to implement when it comes to the four-day work week. So stay tuned. Uh, you're listening to Talk Radio NYC, Employment Law Today. My guest tonight, Joe O'Connor, and we'll be right back. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauber. My guest tonight, Joe O'Connor. Joe is the CEO of Four Day Week Global, an initiative to really uh, inspire companies and help them move towards a four-day work week, which is definitely gaining steam, something I'm reading about quite often these days. Um, Joe, that last, you know, like the question, I think, in your last response, which was something, you know, we're talking about just leaders implementing the four-day work week, but also you raised a good point about, say, if someone is going over their usual 40 hours because something urgent came up or it's really a material key thing, or if they're just kind of, you know, filling the time. And let's say like someone, let's say, has a four-day work week and they're you know, coming in Friday just because they want to send an email off to, um, you know, to get, that's not urgent, to get someone's attention or to cover some administrative, you know, thing. It kind of reminded me of something I heard from colleagues over the years, networking members productivity. Someone once said that, you know, let's say people get a certain amount of dopamine hit, like a rush, when they complete a task, any kind of, even administrative task, whether it's super important or not, they get these little dopamine hits from little things. And I think that it's often the reason why when somebody, let's say, is procrastinating because they're anxious about a bigger project, 
you know, they'll start to like say, you know, it'll organize their inbox or, you know, pay an invoice or whatever they, they feel productive. And that might be a good way to build up to a task you have to get into, warm up to it. But I think that like, too often it can be a time waster. It kind of comes back to that issue about, you know, letting go of perfectionism um, and just kind of diving into a task. Like, and I'm wondering if that's something that, you know, you've seen with, with some of the studies you're doing, like is one of the challenges that people are perhaps uh, procrastinating and that's why their work, work week is expanding to take some of 40, 40 hours or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if people feel that grabbing an hour in the evening or grabbing an hour on their assigned, assigned day off in the same way as, as is currently the reality with the five day work week, because, yeah. you know, sometimes if it's an urgent task or if it's a deadline or, you know, a crisis, people have to push outside those boundaries. Um, you know, so it's the same when you move to a four day work week, the boundary is just different. You know, yeah. it doesn't mean that you don't move outside them every now and then. But I think the dopamine hit is a good is a good way of describing this because, you know, if someone feels that spending an hour kind of clearing their inbox on a Friday, even when that's their day off, will really help them to kind of feel liberated from those tasks, then then great. But don't let their dopamine hit affect other people's ability to have the time off that they deserve because they got their work done on the other four days. So I, I think that that's an important uh, distinction to, to, to make. Um, I think that the way you described as well, you know, the idea around these kind of tasks, you know, that these kind of lower value tasks, which maybe aren't delivering hugely on, you know, the strategic priorities of the role, but they're things that, you know, you're just trying to, to, to get cleared and how, how do they impact on your ability to focus on what's really important. I think that's why both companies and individual employees who move to four-day work weeks, one of the things that's really important is being much more deliberate about how they design their workday. What I mean by that is being much more deliberate around, okay, we're going to have this time assigned or allocated within the workday or the work week for really focusing on high-value projects and tasks, not allowing ourselves to get distracted by the noise of everything else that's going on. Then maybe you set aside some time. Maybe it's when you're least productive. Maybe it's towards the end of the workday when, you know, things are starting to, to slow down for you. And that's when you say, okay, I'm going to set aside time for Slack, for email, for clearing out my inbox. Mm-hmm. And then also being deliberate about saying, okay, this is the time I'm available for collaboration, for meetings, um, you know, for discussing problems and things with colleagues, but just really being much more deliberate about this is when I'm going to do this. Because if you don't do that, Often what you find is the collaboration noise and the kind of distractions and interruptions from the pings of Slack and email just eat and eat and eat away at your work week and your work dates to the point that the things that are really important are the things that get left on the desk. Yes. You know, that's often why I think people say that if they do come in on a day off, like three or four hours, say, oh my God, I got so much work done, right? Say on a Saturday or instead of a, a Tuesday or Friday, more so than usual because I don't have the distractions of people knocking on my door uh, if they're in person or lots of emails or calls coming in. Um, but it's, it's an interesting point, you know, Joe, you raise uh, as well. I, I hear you Rick, talking about a few things here, right? Like this seems like, like this is you know, a time management situation or you know, time management re-strategization, uh, strategizing about time management. This is also, I guess, you know, a, a refocusing, a shifting of paradigms of thought about what it means to put in a full, a full week's work. 
And, you know, is that being defined just by some old societal standard or is it that's maybe antiquated? Like perhaps when you look at the technology and the ability to do things more efficiently. But I definitely hear, like I see a lot of, there's a behavioral component, right? There's a, an organizational component. So I imagine there'd be a lot of um, different sort of moving parts. Like if a company wants to get on board with their four-day work week, might they have to perhaps consult with uh, other outside coaches and, and, and time management um, experts? So let me deal first with your, your point around, you know, the, the, the antiquated, you know, nature of what defines a work week and what defines, you know, getting your work done to a high standard. Because I think that's important, particularly here in the States. And it's this, and I, I think this is part of what the pandemic and remote working has enabled us to rethink about. So, you know, managers have been, you know, remote working and hybrid working has forced managers to get better at measuring results and what gets done rather than using presenteeism as, you know, a kind of a, a surrogate for productivity. So this idea that, you know, Jim was in the office at eight o'clock this morning and he didn't leave till 10 o'clock last night. So clearly he's a hard worker, but, you know, we need to ask ourselves, which is a better sign of professional standards? Is it someone being able to complete a project to a high quality mm. in a shorter space of time? Yeah. Is it, you know, somebody who needs to, to, you know, literally impact their own mental health, their well-being, their family life, everything else in order to get that work done. And I think that's something we've seen more and more companies who move to four-day work week say, you know, we can get the same work done to a higher standard in less time than the competition. I think it's really redefining what we mean by professionalism um, and, and focusing on smart work being, being important rather than hard work. You know, the, what you said about, about needing that additional coaching and additional support, you know, that's effectively what we do. So in the pilot programs that we run all over the world, we offer four things to companies. We offer them training workshops, which are led by business leaders who have mm -hmm. successfully adopted and implemented the four-day work week in a whole host of different industries and settings, which is really about, you know, giving people access to the expertise and the experience of the pioneers that have, have, have led the way on this already. Um, but in addition to those kind of more general master classes, which look at planning and preparation and design for your four-day work week trial, we have more specific sessions on time management, on productivity hacks, on workday reinvention. So on these really, you know, related concepts that are very relevant to the success of a four-day work week program. Mm -hmm. And in addition, we offer them, you know, access to mentoring, access to a networking community with hundreds of other companies that have either you know, trial the four-day work week or who are currently trialing it as part of our programs. And this is really kind of a supplementary resource which enables leaders to be able to share ideas, share experiences, and collaborate with others who are on this journey. You know, so open sourcing some of the questions and the, the, the challenges that they're experiencing and figure, figuring out how others um, in similar situations have dealt with them. And then finally, they have access to a research project through our collaboration with Boston College, which means that effectively, you know, they can assess the impact of their trial. So what impact is the four-day workweek trial having on their revenue, on their productivity, on their employee turnover, you know, their levels of sick leave? And then at an, an employee level, how is this affecting people's well-being, their life satisfaction, their work satisfaction? Um, you know, which means that by the end of the trial, they can look at the data and see, okay, this is, this is how the four-day workweek trial has affected my business and affected my people. And that's the kind of information that leaders need, 
you know, to be able to figure out, you know, is this success and we want, do we want to make it permanent? I think it also helps in kind of justifying the initiative to yeah. executive teams, to boards, and to be able to say, look, we're taking a very data-driven approach. Here's the objectives and the motivations as to why we did this. And right. here's what the impact has actually been. Yeah, it's funny, Joe. You covered a couple of questions I had um, written down to ask you, but you kind of covered them right there. I think in terms of, you know, what you being the four-day work, four-day week global, right, the four-day working movement, what your particular organization, you know, does, like, in other words, how do you support companies that say, yeah, I want to get on board with this show. I want to try this four-day work with all my workers, and we have hundreds of workers or thousands or whatnot. So I hear you talk about just, you know, open sourcing and, and collaboration with other companies that have done that, have gone, traveled that path, right? You talked about, say, networking and also meetings that you can have and how to structure this, right? So you've got, I guess, you know, KPIs and metrics in place to to encourage people to measure the output. Like if you see your employees are, you know, meeting all their say sales goals or seeing all their clients and getting all the, you know, their products and services out and that they did before in 80% of the time, um, to see that, you know, it's an important point. Um, also good to note that, you know, this is not just about say, you know, cramming more hours into four days. Like I remember I asked you a question in our introduction, is the four day work week about, trying to do four 10 hour days. And I think you said, no, it's really about, right. You know, looking at, you know, the, the model of, 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 of um, you know, productivity and, and realizing that based on your studies and data, perhaps if one puts in 80% of the time, i.e. four out of five days, 8% of a week, right. That, you know, they could, it's not about filling up the long hours in a day. It's not about working, you know, three 13 hour days. It's about, you know, just having a, a 20% reduction in work but keeping the productivity at the same levels. So yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, the way we define it is, and this is really important for companies when they talk to their employees about this, because a fear is often that this is going to mean more burnout because we're going to have to do the work harder, quicker. You know, it's going to lead to work intensification. No, what this is about is delivering the same output, but with fewer or more efficient inputs. Mm. That's really the key message. Yes. On that, on that excellent note, Joe, let's um, take our next commercial break. Um, folks, you're listening to Employment Law Today, right here on Talk Radio NYC. I'm your host, Eric Sauber, Employment Law Attorney. Our guest tonight, Joe O'Connor and Four Day Week Global. Stay tuned for more on this topic. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers... Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. 
Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Employment Law Today. Once again, I'm your host. I'm here today with Joe O'Connor. Um, Joe, really great to have you on the show with this very thought-provoking topic and some really good key insights that you're providing for our listeners tonight, so I appreciate that. No problem. I'm enjoying it, Eric. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. You know, what, what kind of strikes me is like about this, Joe, well, many things kind of jump out at me, but um, you talk about the objectives, and I think you mentioned, right, you know, the company's objective for the employer, the benefits of, you know, say, having uh, equal, maybe better output, better productivity, right, running an organization, more, an organization more efficiently. And you also talked about the benefit to the employees, their mental health, right, their well-being, their light work-life balance, I'd argue maybe their physical health as well. And the thing is that these two goals, the, 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 or rather these two things, the benefits to the employees and the workers, and the benefits to the employers are not at all mutually exclusive. In fact, they actually kind of go hand in hand. I think often people think that some initiative that's going to um, make it easier or better for workers, people think it's going to take from the employer. But what we're seeing with everything from the four-day work week, you know, to working remotely, to um, just the changes in organizational structure is that, you know, you give more to the workers and you give them certain uh, benefits, whether it's rest or you know, more time to recharge, and you as a company benefit. So I think it's an important point that I heard you make. Yeah, I mean, we very much see this as potentially being a real win-win for employers mm-hmm. and for employees. Exactly. Um, and we haven't actually talked about, you know, one benefit, which is actually the biggest driving force for companies in the last six to eight months in particular um, mm-hmm. for, for doing this, which is recruitment and retention. You know, um, most of the companies that moved to four day work weeks um, that we had worked with, certainly between 2018, 2019 um, and, and the start of the pandemic, they were doing it for one of two reasons. They were doing it because of productivity motivations or they were doing it because of well-being motivations and issues and concerns around burnout. Those two things are still important, but they've actually been bypassed by com- competitiveness and recruitment and retention as the single biggest reason why companies are coming to us interested in exploring this idea, because they realize that if they can pull it off, you know, if they can make this work and maintain their output while offering people an additional day off, it gives them an incredible edge when it comes to retaining their best staff and obviously the impact that has in terms of reducing the the amount of money they're spending on recruitment, retraining, upskilling. Mm -hmm. And also it, it really widens and broadens the, the kind of pool of candidates that they, they can attract um, when they're recruiting for, for new positions. And we've seen, you know, Adam Mank, who I mentioned earlier, they've seen their number of applicants for new positions increase by 500% since they moved to four-day work week. And we've also seen HealthWise, a not-for-profit here in the U.S., who last June and July were really struggling with employee attrition. You know, they were, they were losing a lot of people. They moved to the four-day work week in August and effectively their unplanned 
employee turnover has effectively been reduced to zero. So this is something that can really, really make a difference, uh, particularly for those companies that maybe can't compete in the top 1% of compensation, but maybe they can give themselves an edge by competing in the top 1% of work weeks. Yeah, think about that. Think about, you know, that last point about the compensation, like getting someone, giving someone their time back, giving them 20% of their week off or, or additional 20% of their week off, giving them three days instead of two to go an extended weekend out somewhere with their family or like, take a short trip or whatnot. Um, it's something that perhaps can certainly be of value almost as much as not more than, let's say, the extra money that another company might offer, but might have someone working six days a week. Um, you know, or long, long hours. And I think it's like an important point, Joe, including that whole retention thing in light of, you know, you hear about recent trends with the great resignation. I've heard it called the great readjustment, the great reshuffle, the great reprioritization, right? Just, you know, people sort of, I guess, like, um, looking you know, at their their work life and wondering if it's time for, for systemic change. Um, I find that with a lot of things, you know, I, I do the show uh, every week and I find that with novel topics or with, when it involves change, it's like there's a misconception that it's going to be, uh, it's going to cost money, it's going to cost time, it's going to be, you know, not productive. And I think you've kind of like, you know, uh, refuted that quite well with your studies and what your, you know, four-day work global does. Often there's also a fear that that implementation will be sort of so Herculean a task that they'll never get to it. It'll just be way too much of an overhaul. And I wondered if you could talk a bit about that last point. Do you find that when companies sign up with your four-day work week global, Joe, do you find that some of them are surprised that like, okay, there was some work involved, but it wasn't the Herculean task that like, you know, almost broke them and they actually were able to adjust somewhat seamlessly? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that the experience of, you know, how difficult this is going to be to implement is is often you know is not as gargantuan as the perception may have been it's like any change management initiative you know the best the companies that have, have succeeded the most in this at a leadership level they've really set a very clear direction around you know why we're doing this what we need to achieve in order to make it work and then they've really got out of the way and they've left the details over to their employees to figure out and to really work out how they can make this work. Because, you know, the most detail-oriented CEO in the world does right. not know the day-to-day -day intricacies of each of their employees' jobs well enough to tell them how they need to redesign it in order to do four days or five days worth of work uh, in four. So that that's certainly been our experience. You know, there there are, no matter how much planning and preparation you do, there tends to be some teething problems. It's like moving to a different country. There can be a bit of a culture shock, but our experience is that for the vast majority of companies that kind of figure out the operations sufficiently, whether yeah. it's, you know, rosters or schedules or whatever is required, you know, from an operational and logistical perspective to make this work, right. but once they make that move, you know, it's a very small minority of companies that ever look back. You know, our, our experience is that, that most companies that that get to the point of launching trials will end up making it permanent. And really the dropout tends to happen before the trial because leadership have, you know, got cold feet, they've overthought it, something else has changed in the business that that has led to them postponing it. Uh, and that's really why, in terms of the support that we provide, it really is front-loaded before the trial. You know, nice. it's really about helping companies in that planning, preparation, design phase. Once the companies start their trials, you know, most of our work is done. So you really help them, right? In that front loading, you really give them the tools, I guess, and the strategies and the tips that they need, right, to, to make this work because you want this to work 
also, you're all invested in having this work. The company wants it to work, you want it to work. And so you're giving them, you know, this, this I guess, this strategy and this coaching and all these different tools and networking, open sourcing, et cetera. Um, no, I think it's a great idea. I think it's like, you know, and I hope that even people listening tonight, if you're out there in the audience, let's say, and you work, maybe you work six days a week, maybe if you can be encouraged to try to scale back to five, um, for those people out there listening, right? That's a roughly 20%, almost a little less than 20% say, you know, scale back, um, 18%, what have you, 17%, maybe you'll see a difference in your, your quality of your work. But I, I know that the main issue here is, you know, that let's see what like we can do in terms of uh, getting the word out, right? Letting people know what, what your initiative is all about. And then looking at the results, like you have, you know, successful results, you have that experiential faith component where people can look to this and say, this is not some crazy idea. This is something that you guys are really thought out. Um, we've actually got, about, speaking of time, three minutes uh, left in the show. I'd like to give my guests a, a two minutes at the end to sort of share what you may, any new things coming up, um, podcasts, initiatives, uh, the floor is yours. Sure. Um, just very quickly on the point that you just made, you know, I think that that's one of the big things that that's really made a difference is there's social proof out there now. You know, there is the more and more companies that do this, the more and more that leaders are, you know, are empowered and emboldened that this is something that could maybe work for them and their business. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, really what we're trying to do with these pilot programs is to demonstrate that the very significant benefits that we've observed companies that we've worked with over the last number of years, that that can be replicated on a much broader scale in a lot of different industries and sectors of the economy. So to your point around, you know, what's next with us, I think the most relevant thing for your listeners is that we are running another pilot program here in North America. So we had 40 companies who started trials uh, on the 1st of April this year. Um, with about 3,300 employees total here in the United States and Canada. Um, they're just over halfway through their six-month trial. The midpoint results are very, very encouraging. You know, all of the major um, variables and metrics that we're studying are either trending positively or staying stable. Um, mm -hmm. So we're, um, we're, we're currently now recruiting and signing up companies for another program that's going to be rolling out in the second half of this year. The registration deadline is actually the end of this month. The pre-trial support um, starts at the beginning of August, and then the coordinated timeline for companies to, to, to roll out their six-month trial within their business kicks off in October. So for any business leaders out there who might be interested in exploring the possibility of, um, of, of experimenting with this or in joining the, the, the pilot program, but also for any employees or groups of workers who maybe, you know, think this is something that could uh, work in their business, but need a little bit of support in terms of convincing their boss and convincing their leadership that this is something that's worth giving a try. Um, feel free to reach out to us. And the most convenient way is program, P-R-O-G-R-A-M at fourdayweek.com. Um, and myself or a colleague would be happy to, to assist you, um, whether that's in relation to joining the, the current pilot program or with arming you with some of this research and, and arguments around you know, how this is something that can really benefit both the company and workers and be a real win-win. Excellent. Joe O'Connor, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We, uh, our show has come to a close, but I'll just say that if you like what you heard, folks, um, reach out to Joe, as you mentioned, the contact information you provided. Um, if you like the show, tell your colleagues, your friends, your clients, your family. We're on every Tuesday night from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I wish everyone a wonderful week. And um, Give it a shot this four-day work week. I think you have some great points there, Joe. So 
thank you once again and have a wonderful evening. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. My pleasure. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.